Welcome to Childhood Art, a podcast sponsored by the Center for the Study of Childhood Art at the University of Arkansas. I'm Dr. Christopher Schulte, Director of the Center for the Study of Childhood Art and co-host of the Childhood Art Podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Hyun Park, Associate Director of the Center for the Study of Childhood Art and co-host of the Childhood Art Podcast. The Childhood Art Podcast aims to reconceptualize normative and normalizing powers at play and our understandings of and approaches to the artistic, play-based, and aesthetic practices of young people. Today, we are very pleased to welcome Mirabel Lucero Sanchez and Jorge Lucero. This will be a special episode, which we are calling the Summer Spotlight Session. Typically, those who join us on Childhood Art do so as a follow-up to their more formal appearance as part of the Childhood Art Speaker Series. While Mirabel and Jorge did not first appear on the Childhood Art Speaker Series, they did recently contribute a terrific chapter to an anthology edited by Dr. Park and me. Should our listeners be interested in learning more, their chapter, which is titled Retrospective, Selections from the Lucero Sanchez Family Archive, can be found in the book, Visual Arts with Young Children, Practices, Pedagogies, and Learning. Some of what we will discuss today may bring into being aspects of what Mirabel and Jorge have so thoughtfully shared in their chapter. However, I suspect that much of what we end up discussing will serve as an extension to these ideas and to the experiences that Maribel and Jorge have so eloquently expressed. Maribel and Jorge, welcome to Childhood Art. Thank you. Happy to be here. To get us started and to ensure that our listeners have a better appreciation for the artistic and educative life you have crafted with your children, I'd like to begin with a set of three questions. First, I'd like for you to tell us a bit about yourselves and about your family. Well, I am the youngest of eight and um, I pr presently work at Urbana Middle School. And I've been married to Jorge for 21 years. And we have four, in my opinion, beautiful children. Um, three sons and a daughter. And I think that's- Yeah, yeah we're, from, we're originally from Chicago and um, we never thought we would not be from Chicago, um, but maybe about 14 years ago, uh, maybe 15 years ago, I, there was a fateful dinner that I was at with Charles Garoyan and he invited um, us to come to Penn State and we left. We left Chicago for the first time in our lives. Um, we're both born and raised in Chicago and um, then we lived for a time at, at Penn State while I was beginning my graduate work and, and going through most of it and then well, there was an opportunity to come back to Illinois and so because there was a position, a visiting professor position at the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign and we applied for it and got it. And then we ended up here. Then the year after that, I was brought on as a tenure track professor. And, and now we've been here for 13 years. Um, and yeah, we're about two and a half hours south of our, most of our family. Thank you. So I'm gonna jump in quickly. I'd like for you to tell us about Hedgehog Homeschool. What is it? And what inspired you to enact this artistic and educational experience with and for your children? 
Okay, I think it all started when our children were born. And as cliche as it may sound, we really fell in love with them. They were, I just can't explain it. And as they grew, you know, their normal early infant years, it was just such a beautiful time of learning and uh, discovering the world and things like that. And when it came time to, you know, go to school per se, it was a decision we made um, to homeschool them. Although we never um, had seen uh, an example close, you know, within our family or anything like that. We've all gone to public schools and it was a fairly far out there idea, but we wanted to try it. And we tried it, um, you know, with some criticism and also some uh, encouragement. And we just took it one year at a time. So at that point, uh, because we had moved and Jorge mentioned earlier, it ended up being a really good way to continue the kids' education. Um, it, and it really fit our family because we moved, but um, it, it's not per se that I would recommend it for all family. Every family has a different dynamic. So, but for us, it worked. And um, the name Hedgehog Homeschool was a name that the kids came up with. Um, and they, they drew the little mascot and things like that. So that's the original story of Hedgehog Homeschool. Yeah. I mean, the decision to homeschool them was there was, we had a certain flexibility that graduate school, curiously enough, that graduate school afforded us because, you know, um, well, in Chicago, for example, when I was teaching in the public schools, um, I was, you know, I, I only, we only lived about two and a half miles away from the school that I taught at. But, you know, in the morning and in the evening, it, it, my commute was somewhere between half an hour and 45 minutes. So it was, you know, it wasn't easy for me, even though the distance was close, it wasn't easy for me to like come back home for anything, really. When I was at work, I was at work, you know, so we were apart like that. But when we were at Penn State, you know, just the house was so close to the campus. Uh, the 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 way that my schedule was set up, uh, it was really you know like I was able to sort of shape it in a way to a certain degree. Um, and you know the semesters were what 14, 15 weeks long, so there was a lot of family time together and a lot of a lot of moments to be able to to have have the kind of flexibility that maybe you need in order to to be able to do something like that. And of course, everything was kind of up in the air at the same time. So we thought that this might be a good way to, um, uh, you know, give them some, give the kids some kind of stability that maybe switching them from school to school because of all of those transitions um, wouldn't, wouldn't give them. Um, I, I think, can I say one more thing about that? I think, uh, pedagogically speaking, or or in terms of where we were and what we thought was important educationally, um, we didn't really know. Like, we didn't know. I mean, even though I was a teacher, uh, and even though I consider Maribel an amazing teacher, she's one of the best teachers, um, I, we didn't really know what it meant to homeschool them. All we knew was that maybe, well, we speculated. We speculated that maybe closeness could do something right? 
that if we were close, that that would be something important to their education. And I mean, it's, I think, I don't want to say we proved it to be true, but you know, I, I, we're not unhappy with the results. <laughs> I, before I go on to the next part of that question, which I think in some ways is an extension of this, but I, I just wonder if you could, if the two of you would be willing to talk a little bit more about that idea of closeness, like what, what, you know, Jorge, what, what do you mean by that? And, um, know how does how did that that kind of concept or that way of being with each other really drive the things that you were doing i mean i think we mean it in two i'm going to say something very short and then i'll i'll just leave it to you Marva. but like i i think i mean it in two different ways like uh obviously there's an intuitive closeness like the thing that maribel said when she said like we just love them so much like that that's part of it right you want to be with them um and it was never any trouble and we we just we wanted it, you know, um, you know, because I'm in the, because I'm constantly in this, having to answer this question in a more, um, uh, in a way that puts a lot of words to it. Um, I have other thoughts about it, other thoughts that have to do with like art that have to do with, um, with, with education or some of the things that I know about education that have to do with thinking about care and stuff like that. But I don't know that those things are, it's not as important to articulate them in any theoretical way as much as it is to just say that there was an intuitive sense that it was important. Yeah, I think that um, they, they at that age, you know, early childhood age, they were just sponges and they, um, at that point, I think parents are pretty much the center of their lives. They really idolize their parents and want to imitate and want to, um, they're just, their attention is just there. And so it just felt natural what I had been doing since they were born up to whatever age five, how we got along and how we did things and just being together and not necessarily always being home, but just, uh, taking field trips together and just doing things together. Um, I don't know, it just felt natural and I saw them learning. I, that's the thing that I really saw them learning. And so that's, I think why we took the chance to say, well, let's not enroll them in school, let's homeschool them. Yeah, I, that's a good way to, a great way to put it. I think it's, we saw them doing something that the school or the idea of school promised us. And we were like, oh, they're doing that already. And so we're just like, can we just continue it? Yeah, that's, it's a lovely way that you've framed that. And I think this next question uh, is gonna like move in a little closer to that. In, the, in your chapter, you write about the importance of watching the world slowly, to be amazed by it and to have creative responses to it. Can you tell us a bit more about these ideas and about how you work to cultivate this sensibility with your children? Well, I mean, I think Maribel alluded to some of it like that, this, you know, there's the idea of like taking a field trip, meaning there you go somewhere to see something specifically. Uh, that's one, I suppose that is the, the most like, 
the thing that we're most familiar with when we're thinking about school field trips, right? But I think when we use that phrase very loosely, because what we really mean is like spending our lives or spending our attention in the quote unquote field, meaning when we're out, you know, I, I, I can I think of so many instances where when we were with the kids or, or even just when Maribel was with the kids and she would tell me like, this is what happened today. And we were at the grocery store or we, you know, went to the beach or we went to the, into the woods or we were at the park or we were at a friend's house. Like every single one of those things was a thing to be at or a thing to look at, not just like, it wasn't just about, you know, daily life. It was, it was treated in the same way that like, you know, going to the, to the, you know, Philadelphia Academy of Sciences or whatever was, you know, or going uh, into the art museum at, at Penn State was. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it was, it's just sort of an attuneness, I think. Um, and, and talking about it uh, and maybe even talking about it. Yeah. I think we asked them questions a lot, you know, like, what do you think about that? What was your favorite part or um, things like that to, to see what they, what struck their attention. Um, and even in their drawings, like I had to learn really quick to not just say, oh, good job. Like that when <laughs> that was done for after a while. So I started to just say like, oh, I could see you spent a lot of time on that. Like, that's really great. Or um, that color is so, I love that color that you use. Yeah. And just different things that we felt um, could help them grow, help them gain confidence. Um, I do have a, a little story about how we decided to play things. So it, we would play like um, art museum. And so each kid would make pieces like drawings, right? And I'd let them, I'd like, here's some tape, hang them up all over the house. And then I had some grapes and um, cheese cubes and things like that, refreshments. And I said, okay, we're gonna go around and talk about everybody's artwork that's hanging up in the house. And I, you gotta say something positive though, you know? <laughs> so even that was a, a, a cute thing that they heard their sibling say something nice about each other's drawing, even though they were all at different levels of ability. And, um, it's kind of a cute, like sweet, but sad story. The one of the third youngest, um, he, because of his age, he always idolized the older siblings and how they drew. And they, he would just feel that he couldn't draw as good. And I was like, oh, this is the problem. <laughs> not, not necessarily that I wanted them to become artists per se, right? But I definitely didn't want him to feel that he was not, um, his, his drawings were not as good. So he didn't understand that his siblings had much more practice because they have been alive longer. And uh, one time I found he had made a little nook in the closet and he had uh, one of those really big kid books about like um, it was like an just birds but what like, like more like an atlas so birds from different regions and he had made so many drawings of just birds like he just focused on birds and they are so so nice so nice I still have some of those drawings 
So I just felt like I even saw his determination. So instead of like feeling sorry, in a way, I saw how that worked its way out. So I think um, at the heart of trying to have life, education, and art in our family, like be such a strong uh, pillars in our family and what we did, I never per se wanted them to be artists, but I did want them to take with them whatever they learn through art processes, like uh, failing, making mistakes, what do you do with that mistake? And even how they were critiquing, or is that how you say yeah. each other's work, um, problem solving. I wanted them to take those kinds of things, creativity as well, into whatever they decided to become. Yeah, there was a lot of like us attaching things together for them. And, and what I mean by that is like, if we did something on any given day, uh, like say go to the beach, for example, or go to the grocery store or something, then there were things that happened at home that were directly connected to those outings or those activities. Or even if people came to the house or if we saw a movie or we saw something on television or if we read a book or something, like there was always this constant like connecting. I, drawing was a big part of it, you know, like making drawings, but not just making drawings. Like one of the things that we, one of the first pieces I think that we show in the chapter is the is this piece that we made when we went to the zoo actually and uh it was just the central park zoo um but we gave the this you know be, this was before camera phones were on cameras uh and so we just had a camera and uh it was a digital camera and the kids went into they just went and they shot as much video till they till they filled up the camera but they were shooting things that they enjoyed like the, like that they saw and then when we went home, because they had been watching a lot of um, uh, David Attenborough videos, uh, where there's sort of, you know, that's the British guy who does those natural uh, the narration. Yeah, the narration. Mm -hmm. So they wanted to make those with those videos that they had shot of like these different creatures that they had seen at the Lincoln Park, at the, sorry, <laughs> the Central Park Zoo. Um, but what was really interesting, I mean, they were, this was, they couldn't write, they were not writing yet. And mm -hmm. so they were like how they wanted to make scripts. And so I said, well, why, what do you want to say about the, you know, the red panda, for example, which was uh, Jorge's. And he said, well, I want to say that they eat this. I want to say they live here and all that. And so I just said, well, can you make drawings? We had a piece of paper. Can you make one drawing for that statement, right? Like, so make a drawing for what they eat. So he made a drawing of like eggs and uh, what else yeah, are they, plants or something like that. It kind of reminded me, I don't know if you remember when you were in school and you were younger, that you would draw an eye, like an actual eyeball yeah. for the letter, the word I, yeah. and then a heart, and then the U, yeah. right? Like something like yeah. that. So that's how they kind of remembered what to say when it was time to record their yeah. voices. So then when we did the voiceovers yeah. with the videos, because they they then, I helped them to, you know, we put the videos in iMovie and then I was like, okay, now you have to record your voiceover. And what they did was they they read their script, but they were working with these hieroglyphics that they had made, you know, like they they had, you know, so when when they when Jorge wanted to say, you know, the panda lives in India, right, he had drawn a little piece of like non bread so that he could remember that he wanted to say that for the for and I don't do we have those drawings still the I think we might still have those drawings like we have bucket we have like tons of rubbermaids with like it's a whole archive of drawings and stuff but um yeah so they you know it was always again connecting you know like you had that experience then here's something that you could do 
around it that maybe again it wasn't it wasn't like let's try to cement this in their brain somehow it was just like can we provide ancillary experiences that you know just go with the things that they are interested in go with the things that they've been experiencing in their world amazing um so i have the next question so you write about the importance of your children learning from what excites them um, and you go on to say in the chapter quote we trusted the power of the encounter with the thing to keep you motivated, to transfix you, and to educate you, end quote. Um, so can you tell us a little bit more about this, about how you came to recognize the encounter as something to trust, and perhaps about your experience of learning to trust the educated power of such encounters? Mm -hmm. You know, I think that both Maribel and I are sensitive people. And what I mean by that is um, there's <laughs> there, the things that you wouldn't think could bring you, make you emotional or engage you, they do like for us, you know, they like we get, we're struck, we're, we're wonderstruck by things that happen in the world um, that maybe don't, that other people maybe just pass by or, or, you know, that we just some, maybe we just don't make the time to look at or whatever, right? Um, or don't have the time to look at. And I think that that's something we always wanted to share with our children. And so there was not, there was, again, you know, there was no hierarchy between like things that were meant to be impressive and things that were meant to be everyday. Uh, everything had the power to impress us. And we would uh, follow that. We would, we would sort of let it take us, you know? Um, so yeah, again, you know, that's everything from something that you taste to something that you witness, you know, um, on television to something that you hear maybe on the radio or, or a conversation that you are a part, get to be a part of. Um, yeah, an arrangement that you accidentally make or an accident that you have. Um, yeah, we, and so we, you know, we just trusted that those things, we, to this day, actually, we trust that those things have power and that if you are open to them, they can give you something that you were not expecting. They can give you gifts. And um, I, I don't want to say that we taught this to our kids, but I think we modeled it to a certain degree. And we um, uh, encouraged it. Yeah, we encouraged it. And one, one way that we encouraged it was by uh, having the discipline to not uh, shoo things away or discount things um, that would normally get discounted, right? Um, you know, it wasn't like an exaggeration, right? It's not like if we, if you know, if we spilled a, a, a bag of flour in the kitchen that we would all say, hey, let's gather around and take a look at this bag of flour. It wasn't that, right? But if there was something interesting that happened, we would try not to ignore it, you know? And, um, and, uh, and I think the kids just gathered around that, you know, they, they, uh, Mirabel was telling a story the other day about one of our kids who, 
maybe you want to tell, but like, so the, I think we were, had gone to the library or something and there had been a kid, <laughs> there had been a kid who was just crying, like just, but like wailing in the library, you know? And um, I was telling Jorge <laughs> that we had gone to the library and- I, I wasn't with them on that trip. So. so we were having dinner and I told them we had gone to the library earlier that day. And I said to Jorge, can you believe there was a child in the library who was crying as loud as the child wanted and as long as the child wanted to cry and the mom was okay and i was just like per, i was surprised and like i was not like trying, we're not trying in, to placate him or anything. That, and i was like we're in the library and she literally is okay with it and i was because i'm always like shushing my kids you know <laughs> and when i said that the sweet little son of mine he was little at that time mom why don't you let us cry as loud as we want and as long as we want <laughs> and i was like whoa okay let's just finish up dinner here and we'll meet in the living room <laughs> so we had to we'll like all a, cry yeah, as we loud a, as we want <laughs> we had a family crying uh in the living room uh and again it was just i mean we were just screaming and wailing i mean we at a, at a certain point we started laughing we laugh, of course yeah, you know but uh but the but the the point <laughs> is just that you know we there's some parts of of ourselves with the kids that are uninhibited to those kinds of um happenings you know that when things like that happen well i think that life always has those tensions where yeah you're at the library you should be quiet you should be considerate of others but i don't know what the situation was with that child and that parent right but just when I heard my child say that it it opened up something I had never I didn't know he was feeling that way or thinking that way and it just it it almost tickled me right yeah. but I, I knew he was being very yeah. open and vulnerable when he said that so I just wanted to give him a space to do it and then and guess just, what he didn't he does he, he didn't, didn't turn really, it yeah. he didn't turn into a kid who just cried <laughs> wherever he wanted uh, all the time, it you know, yeah, it didn't mess us him up. He knows to, <laughs> he knows where to be quiet. <laughs> but it was a sweet um, exchange we had. We just took that moment and made something that yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I mean, I if I just had to add anything to that, it, you know, again, dismantling maybe the hierarchies of like what's worth what and what's not. We for a very long time we kept we would keep a lot of packaging cardboard boxes anything anything that just came into the house on accident like that would just stay in the house would have another life because the kids would just take it they would just take everything and they would turn it into they would turn rooms into entire things you know we there was a long period of our time where we would always get really excited whenever we found packing tape on the cheap because we would buy so much tape like we would buy so much colored tape and the kids would just go through rolls and rolls and rolls of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we never really got expensive stuff mostly because we couldn't afford it, but yeah. whatever was at hand, it just, it just felt like a flow, you know, life, art, education, and trying to keep, keep it fun for the kids as they were little and growing. Yeah. Well, prior to our conversation today, I was talking with with Hayan about 
um, you know, when I would go to ICQI, uh, the qualitative inquiry conference, I would sometimes stay with, with you all. And I, at one point when I went down in the basement, uh, which I think was kind of like the studio in some ways, right? For them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. And I walked down and I was trying to tell Kayan that it was, it was amazing. Like it was one of the most amazing things that I've ever encountered. And I think it really, you know, it, it, it really underscores this idea of you encouraging the children, not just to watch the world, but to trust how they watch it. And when they see the potential of, of what that world offers, its material, et cetera, um, you know, to trust that they can, they can do something with it and that they can, they can use it to kind of encourage their interests. And I think that when I walked into that basement, I mean, it was overwhelming. Uh, the extent to which that was that was sort of a real kind of part of their life and a way of existing. And it was, I mean, I think I even called Jill, like at some point it was like, you've got a, like this basement, you know, <laughs> like I, you know, it's, I don't know how to describe it, but it's like overwhelming the, the amount of work that the children have produced and the way in which uh, you know, Mirabel and Jorge are holding space for it, right? And what the, what that what that does for the kids, you know, to to know that like these things that they have been collecting and assembling and reproducing for years and years and years, um, you know, that they're valued, you know, that it has it has a real uh, value, you know, and that uh, within the context of their family, your family and their own life and the, the ability to constantly make space for it, not only to exist, but like then to transform and become something else. Uh, so I, I can, you know, personally, and I'm biased, I mean, you've known this for years, I, I've always been really fascinated with the, the, the things that are happening with, with uh, Hedgehog Homeschool and just in general, um, the things that, that your children have been doing, you know, they're, they're wonderful. Um, but I digress and I want to slip into, uh, Can I say something about that? Chris, just really quick. Yeah, please, please. Did you, well, what did you see Legos or what did you see in the basement? I, I mean, I saw if uh, I saw tons of Legos, but it was Legos, it was drawings, it was figurines, collections. It was, I mean, the collections I thought were, you know, and again, I'm like reflecting back, this has been years now, but there were collections of things like not just toys, but things that they had clearly gathered on trips, yeah. several trips. Yeah, yeah. They'd been accumulating over long periods of time, yeah. you know, that it, it was not only a studio, but it was a warehouse. It was a museum. Yeah. It was, um, you know, a workshop to tinker. Uh, it was a community center for them to gather and exchange ideas and expertise. I mean, it was unbelievable. And uh, yeah, I used to like, I, I, when I was able to come and visit, I got to sleep in that space <laughs> and, just, and just take it all in. And it was, you know, to, as someone who's really interested in the ways in which young people make art and, and play and produce things, uh, you know, it was uh, there, the, a really like, a heaviness to it, but like in a very positive way, like the, the intensity of that space and what, what your children were doing and what, you know, 
what they had managed to to generate mm-hmm. it was uh, it's it's unbelievable you know mm-hmm. and this conversation uh is 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 wonderful as well and so is the the chapter that you've wrote uh, but I think it's it's important, like for listeners, to like it barely scratches the surface <laughs> of these amazing practices that your kids have developed, and they're not just art practices or creative practices. They're it's it's ways of relating to others in the world around them. There's a sensibility there that uh, I think is uh, it's unlike it's unlike. Uh, the kinds of sensibilities I often see with young people. Thanks for that's amazing. Re- yeah. Refreshing our minds. I, it is a retrospective for sure because we've forgotten a lot of that stuff. Yeah, but I appreciate your kind words. Yeah, but we're also we're keepers too. You know, like we're we're documenters, and we're keepers. Like we we have like I said, we have a bunch of Rubbermaid containers with just tons and tons and tons of things that the kids have made we have so many photographs so many video clips um you know and and like you said even the objects that have been accumulated over the years uh we just keep everything you know and and part of it is yeah because you forget but then you stumble on the thing again and the memory either takes you back to that moment or it allows you to write like a new story about it, right? Part It's partially made up of memory, but then partially made up of however you're interpreting that particular artifact. So there's a kind of beauty to the all the documentation, you know, and, and, and it's certainly something that I, with my students in particular, those who work with, with young people, I say, you have to over-document. You have, you just have to shoot as many pictures as you can, even if in the end you only use one to like tell the story of the thing that you did, but all of those, all of that documentation will help you just maybe reconstruct in some way or another something that occurred that, you know, in, in all actuality, you can't reconstruct it because it was a lived experience, right? Because it was something that happened. So that we can't really reconstruct the last 20 plus years of the, of our living with the kids, but all the documentation helps a little bit. Yeah, and you show that in your chapter too. I'm looking at the figures now and like I can kind of um, get a peek of how, you know, you've done that um, over the years and which is beautiful. So thank you for all yeah. the amazing stories. And we went through the, through the, a lot of the documentation to write the chapter, mm-hmm. just, just to kind of sort of jog our memory even. Mm-hmm. So we're grateful for having had the opportunity to write it because yeah. the the exercise of going through the materials through our own archive was, and at the moment when it happened, which was when one of our kids was, our oldest kid was going to go off to college. It was like the perfect moment to, to I mean, it was, it was awesome and horrible all at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you. <laughs> So we have, we have time for, for one more question. I think this is a, a nice way to, to maybe close out our discussion, but in your chapter, you include a, a lovely comment from one of your children. The comment is this, growing up with artistic people, you try to be more than who you are. So you think more about stuff other people don't think about. Like when I go places, I pay attention to the temperature and the weather. 
I look at the skies and the clouds in each color. Lots of people probably just think clouds are white, but I see yellow and gray and orange. Most people don't care. I just want to appreciate the sky. As a follow-up to this comment, Jorge and Maribel, you write that your child, the one who made this comment, has become a watcher of the skies on their own terms. You describe this as a method of patient contemplation, noticing things that often go unseen, working the problem from all sides, appreciating difference, not getting defeated by failures, practicing, trying new things, and consistently remaining open to the conversation. As someone who has spent a fair amount of time with you and your family, I can attest to the fact that this isn't merely a talking point. It is, it is indeed something you and your children have clearly and lovingly come to embody. Admittedly, I've always found it to be rather impressive, remarkable, really. Might you be willing to tell us a bit more about the experience of seeing your children grow with this sensibility in and for the world? It's what you would wish for, but at the same time, when you see reality as it is, it's also very, very sad in a way. I, and then what I mean is, for example, that, um, what, that what that child shared about seeing the sky. Um, that child ended up explaining that they were next to a friend and a friend was not as interested obviously in the sky and so that for a brief moment made our kid feel weird or awkward and so i think that goes hand in hand with being vulnerable and being uh, sensitive is that the world sometimes may not um be a great place at times, not always, obviously, but at times you might, even though you're true to yourself, your senses, what you're experiencing, uh, it, you know, you look around and you see that not everyone has the same sensibilities um, and quite the opposite, maybe sarcastic, maybe ironic, maybe, and, you know, as life would have it, our kids are also sarcastic and ironic sometimes too. So um, I, I'm glad that they feel that way and that they can see the beauty in things that um, as they experience life. But, you know, yeah, sometimes I feel like, oh, you know, that, that it might make them also feel weird. I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't have anything to add to that. I, I just... Um, you know, you can see like Maribel, Maribel is their main teacher, right? And in the sense that in terms of time, time spent, right? And she brings this level of engagement and sensitivity to them. Whereas I sometimes can be preachy or teachy or, or over analytical right to 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 everyone's exhaustion um so you can see like if I, if I had to say you know where does the richness of these young people come from and their complexity come from 
I, I would point to her immediately and I would say that she she brings she gives them that and is, has been able to give them that uh, as a very strong figure in their in their lives. Um, so I I feel really lucky. I'm, I was as somebody who who is who has grown to become interested in all of this stuff as a as a scholar, as an artist. Um, it's amazing to have been able to see it at this level of intimacy. Mirabel and Jorge, thank you so much for your time and for your continued generosity. We are truly grateful for the opportunity to learn more about you and your family and about the truly inspiring practices of care and creation you continue to share with each other. Thank you, Mirabel and Jorge. Thank, you, Thank you for having us here. All right. So next time on Childhood Art, we sit down with Dr. Tran Templeton, Dr. Vivek Belenke. Until then, visit our webpage for additional updates and news at www.centerforthestudyofchildhoodart.com. Thank you.